Hi, I'm Ron Coleman, a partner in the Dillon Law Group, social media legend and free speech enthusiast. When I started the Coleman Nation podcast in the spring of 2021, its focus was on free expression and censorship on the internet. But as important as that subject is to me, which is very important, I felt hemmed in in the podcast. I wanted to spend more time talking to the interesting people I've met in my legal and free speech work without feeling a need to have them all make the same point. So I culminated the first series of the podcast and have started the second series. I hope you'll enjoy these conversations as much as I have recording them. Hey, culminators. Guess what? It's episode number three. But Ron, you already did 100 episodes. No, it's number three of Lee Smith. Okay, that's a separate track that we have. The thing with Lee Smith is you can talk to him every week and there's so much going on. There's so much that he's covering. And guess what? The news is makes it easy to be Lee Smith because <laughs> there's always something outrageous going on and, and he knows yeah. where to find those buried bodies. Lee, thanks for joining me today. How are you? Ron, thank you for that really uh, generous and uh, fun introduction. I'm doing great. And I'm always better whenever I'm speaking with you. Well, and I'm before the culmination. How's that? <laughs> oh, well, this yeah. is the, the joke here is culmination, not culmination. Yeah. But yeah. certainly America is my nation. Yeah. Uh, and if it, if it wants to be my nation as well, in that sense, it's welcome to. I, I first thought, I mean, listen, like I said, I would have you on every week if I could. But but what first got simulated a lot of simulations going on but what first stimulated me this particular time to invite you was when i took a gander at this in tablet magazine mm -hmm. and you know they make tablet is so goofy look what they do to the they just they don't want you to read their their thing on on a pc i mean why do i want a full-size picture <laughs> of this scumbag okay james baker how the fbi Hacked Twitter. This yeah. is a story of great importance to America, also to me professionally, because this ties in with our lawsuit uh, mm. about state-based um, censorship of Twitter uh, on behalf of D.C. Drano, which is before the Ninth Circuit right now. Sorry about that. Mm. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that. That's already from, from January 5th. So by the time people see this, it'll be mm. a, about a month old story. But you really dug down here. Uh, and 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 it seems to me that a really comprehensive um, treatment of the extent to which the the deep state and the intelligence community, as it likes to call itself, mm -hmm. has uh, essentially captured social media and Twitter in particular. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I, I, you said so-called intelligence community, or something, as it likes to call itself. I don't call it that anymore. That's much too friendly a term. That's why for, I qualify yeah. it that way. I mean, right now, I just, I just say intelligence services, uh, spy services, um, that gives a better indication. Unfortunately, that unfortunately that we, we usually use those um, modifiers to talk about hostile services, but that's unfortunately what the FBI and our other agencies have become hostile to at least half of the country. Yeah, what I, I the you know what Elon Musk and and um, you know and um, Matt Taibbi are doing is very important, providing this information, giving some great insight into what uh, into how Twitter is was basically captured by the services. Um, what I wanted to do is I wanted to take it further back and say that this has been going on for a while. Uh, and and 
there's there are more it's it's an enormous story as 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 you know we've a, a gentleman on twitter or a twitter account name redacted has been posting just fantastic stuff the person just goes through uh through linkedin profiles and has identified yeah uh, hundreds amazing. of former you know former uh hundreds of intelligence officers who are now at google um facebook so it's a very broad thing. What uh, you know, what Matt Taibbi and what Elon Musk have done is to give more insight into actually what they're doing at the social media platforms like Twitter. This so this be this process began during the Obama era. Yeah, that I mean, I I, I it's very important. I think to. Um, to see how how Barack Obama um, Barack Obama basically captured big tech, right? For a lot of reasons, that, as, as as and finance as well, right? The, this is some of the some of what happened after the uh, financial crisis, and Barack Obama and the Democratic Party looked indomitable. And of course, it was the Obama administration that was willing to <laughs> threaten to regulate. The social media platforms, and they continue to do it today, continue to threaten the social media platforms. They will destroy their financial models if they don't play along. And what that means is censoring. Primarily, it means censoring their opponents, but there's a lot of other stuff going on, too. As I go through in this piece, I also explain how they're using some of the social media platforms basically as a collection device too, to, to be able to collect on their political opponents. So it, 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 it's really an enormously valuable um, in, instrument for the intelligence services. And this partly explains why everyone is losing their mind about Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter. Because with this, the FBI and other intelligence agencies lost a very, very powerful and important tool. Well, more, um, than, more than losing a tool, they also left behind, notwithstanding the efforts of James Baker uh, and many others, obviously, but they left behind all kinds of fingerprints. Yeah. I, I mean, don't think, yeah. My, my opinion is that um, my, I, I don't think they're that concerned about it because they'll never pay a price for it. I, 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 I think it's important to see what we've all been going through the last uh, the last several years certainly became more noticeable during the, you know, during the Trump era is that there's it's psychological operation after psychological operation. So the idea that they left a whole bunch of evidence about how they're messing with uh, messing with <laughs> with presidential elections. I, I, I think they're happy with that because that's part of a psychological operation. Here's how powerful we are. Here's what we're doing. And there's nothing you can do about it. What, what, what can you do to stop it? You got your Republican president, Donald Trump. No one's been held accountable. Not Michael Sussman, not Igor Danchenko. Never mind the top names at the FBI, like Andrew McCabe, James Comey, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page. You can't do anything about it. Go ahead and cry in your little conservative corner. We'll, we'll, we'll get back to you when we want to put you in jail. Well, I mean, the, the, the only problem with, with, with that hypothesis is that it is... Um impossible it may, it's it's impossible to fal to falsify if they wanted to leave it then it's because they wanted to leave it and if they didn't want to leave it then no they you know how would we you would have no way of knowing the difference all things being equal Lee, and you, and you certainly have enough mm -hmm. background um you know with and it's kind of funny because i'm actually 
I've been reading the um, George Smiley novels mm. recently, and mm. and in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, it's all about how he unwinds uh, the progress of a mole in the in the in the British Secret Service, and he uses a great deal of um, inductive logic. See, what was it that they didn't want us to know? What, what mm. you know, sort of, you know, I think all, because so, my next question to you had been, if if they're going ballistic because they've lost this, mm. uh, they've lost this resource, why do they let it happen? So one of the answers by your lights would be, well, they didn't really care. In other words, why did the government let it happen? Because the government didn't really care. But but on the other hand, you're saying that it is a loss to them. Oh no, I I, I think the platform is a very is is a big loss to him, uh, as a big loss to the intelligence services. But I I don't think that they're concerned that it gives evidence of what they've done. I mean, the piece also talks about the. Um, the uh, election integrity project, right, oh, which is basically run out of DHS, and um, you know they partnered with these private uh, private sector entities, including University Stanford University, their Internet Observatory Lab, University of Washington, um, Atlantic Council Digital uh, Forensic Research Lab, something like that, and also this um, this firm called Graphica. And how do we know what DHS did? Because the election integrity project was boasting about it. Right. right to continue to raise more funds. They're, they're all. I think this is an. This is a, a crucial to understand. These, they're boasting about what they've done, and it's not just EIP. Remember, is another part of the piece is Barack Obama is at Stanford at University of Chicago, warning about the dangers of disinformation. So on one hand, he he's getting his um riling up his tech base, saying, yeah, we're gonna. We're going to pay lots of money for your great work on rooting out dangerous disinformation. And people and don't realize knows what he means by it. You, they, FBI wrote checks to Twitter. They paid them for. I mean, I mean, they got far more than they paid for, especially with this use of. Let me ask you something about yeah. about these for all these former employees that name redacted uh, that so yeah. incredibly uh, identified. Do you think that they're still officially, unofficially with the agency? Is that is that the deal? Or are these just friendly relationships that are being, in other words, do you think they're being in any way compensated or that, that they still have the sort of privileges that, in other words, is, are they undercover agencies, agencies essentially? You know, I, I believe uh, an awful lot of them still have active security clearances. James Baker did. There was at least one more person at Twitter who had an active security clearance. You know, and in Washington, typically security clearances are very valuable. You know, for people who move out of the government, when that whatever they move into in the private sector, whatever kind of contracting or consulting work they do, those clearances are are worth an awful lot. And a lot of people kept those clearances when they moved to Twitter. When presumably when they moved, look in Google as well. So yeah, in that way, I, I, absolutely. No, I, I certainly believe that a lot of these people were inserted into these platforms because it's a very large, it's it's a very large um, and powerful intelligence service. What they've been building over the last several years, big you know, tech, you know, social so, media, the services. 
and the media it's it, it's it's enormous would you say it's comparable to what china is doing with uh with tiktok yes i i yes the more and more look i'm very much against tiktok and tiktok is clearly it's not just a collection vehicle right tiktok is also more importantly a propaganda vehicle the way that it shapes you know the way that it shapes messages the way that it's helping divide the country by focusing on certain issues especially the trans issue as you know the great libs of tiktok has um has has focused on but once we see what these uh, what these american companies are doing twitter uh facebook google it's it's it, it you know we have to wonder what's upsetting the american government is it that is it that they don't control tiktok that that's controlled by a rival agency and in some cases a partner agency right i was so, about yeah. to say how 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 much of a rivalry is that now Right. Yeah. I, I, it's a very, I mean, you know, this is something else that I, that I've written about and will continue to write about the partnership between uh, you, uh, American and, and Chinese communist party elites. So yeah, it's, <laughs> it would be good to get more insight into what the issues are with, with TikTok, well, why we have different people complaining about it. Well, I mean, I mean, it, you know, there are many competing interests and what TikTok has done has taken a big bite out of social out of facebook for sure right face it killed instagram right. i didn't kill instagram i'm sure instagram is worth something still but it has been devastating to instagram uh and to facebook and and um you know i'm sure it's a concern for twitter as well this is a great way to frame this ron i hadn't thought about it exactly in this way but this is fantastic i mean because the way you can see it then it's rival agencies fighting for social media space, right? Partly for collection, um, partly for collection purposes, partly for propaganda purposes, and partly for censorship purposes. So the idea that uh, the, you know American agencies are fighting with CCP agencies over the space—that's a great way to put it. It's interesting, also, because I'm, and this is probably a bridge too far, but I'm involved in litigation that has um, that involve uh, involves. YouTube channels hmm. that are operated by, by the Russian government and which YouTube is currently essentially um, de has demonetized, I think is what, is what they've done. I don't think they've censored it um, because Russian Russia is the bad guy. Uh, but we know, we know the, the complications of that political calculus as well, but it might be that if, if you, if we could roll things back um, I actually, my client showed me uh, information about how just how important YouTube is to Russia's propaganda efforts. And uh, now YouTube is not. There are valuable analytics available to mm -hmm. major users, especially on YouTube. Not, but nothing like what you get from Twitter and 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 especially TikTok. Mm. Just one more question though about the Twitter files. I know you you mentioned a couple of other things that. Yeah even could segue into this, but going back to your, your, your PSYOP hypothesis, which is certainly has, has its appeal and which I actually just used in, in, in remarks that I made at, at, a, at a group the other night where, you know, this idea that we know, we know, you know what we're doing right. and we don't care that, you know, in fact, we want you to know because that, that undermines your morale and your, your will to resist even more. But why, therefore, are the corporate media ignoring the Twitter file story? Oh, because because they're 
part of what I what I'm describing as uh, you know the largest and most powerful intelligence service in the world. They're they're absolutely part of it. Um, All right, but been... but then shouldn't they want to promote? Oh, I see. What crow you're about about hey you know hey FBI good 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 news FBI yeah. is controlling everything the guys we trust the most in the world. Oh oh um yeah no they they have they have a they have a different they have a different job they have a different audience right they're really addressing an elite audience and it's a very small audience right <laughs> CNN Washington Post New York Times so no they don't they don't want to expose that to the to that readership to that audience they have a different message for that audience and where they are crowing all the time about defeating uh defeating maga defeating conservatives pushing back on you know punching nazis punching fascists so that's what's important for them that 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 that's you know that that different message for for that audience yeah so and and that adds to the you know to the, to the subtlety of, of this like i said you know there, there there are many different axes that intersect but they don't always they, they don't always intersect you have you know your message for your elites and your message for for i mean for example i, I, I was just watching a video about TikTok and about uh, about the Chinese, how the, what the Chinese government does, exactly what we just what we were saying. Mm -hmm. But of course, these elites who, who read the Times and the Washington Post, they're not looking at TikTok. They they, they couldn't care less what they they don't even, they right. wouldn't know where to find it or how to. It, it's for it's, it's for very young people, right? You know, it's not. But, but there's a there's a, that cadre has to be addressed one way, and there are other cadres that have to be addressed other ways. And then there are, as you said at the very beginning, there are the finance axes, mm -hmm. and you know, and there are the social media axes. There are the, the government, the intelligence. So, and then again, there there is competition, and there's financial competition. I mean, what TikTok and Instagram, and in particular, not Instagram, what TikTok and Apple have done to Facebook in the last couple of years, and then what Mark Zuckerberg has done to Facebook as well, um, threatens its, its existence, which, you know, in and of itself is probably significant for, for all these things. Um, oh, I, I, I think what they've done to Facebook is fascinating. If you look at, um, you know, which I, I talk about in that, in, in that article, the Twitter files article, um, how Obama pulled Zuckerberg aside after the 2016 election, warned him about Russian disinformation, which is code word, you know, for Donald Trump. And then, you know, he paid $400 million. I'm not, look, I'm not defending Mark Zuckerberg by, by any means, but, you know, the way I understand that $400 million was he was being taxed. Um, he was being taxed to make sure that he played along for the 2020 vote. And then in 2021, nonetheless, they send this fake whistleblower after him, Francis Hogan, you know, this whole operation set up by Pierre Omidar and other Democratic Party operatives to go after Mark Zuckerberg. So and Zuckerberg has a very big problem at Facebook, right, because his financial a model right. depends a lot on the fact that older people are the people who look at Facebook and they tend to be more conservative. So if Zuckerberg is going to say, I can't throw all these conservatives off my, you know, off my site because we can't survive with that. I don't care. Figure it out here. We're going to keep doing this to you again and again and again until you figure it out. We don't care about you. So, yeah, I think the Zuckerberg story is fascinating in that way. It's all, you know, it, it's it's not. It's, it's amazing to think that Facebook 
will have already has already peaked and as they it is you know you said older people meaning people in their 30s yeah but, yeah right. you know I mean, you know there's there's really old people like us who have accounts and poke our heads in from time to time but you know the generation of people that grew up with facebook is right probably in the 30s and um the the you know the success curve and the dominance curve is so short now right this was something that just came onto the scene 15 20 years ago and now you know it, it's facing obsolescence right? i mean because of you know the the money and the tech and the technological problems and you know as you mentioned these political problems let's shift because you've got a All whole right. bunch of things going on. I, uh, well, you about. and I always have lots of great stuff to talk about. Because we're both crazy conspiracy theories, of, <laughs> yeah. theories of course. And that's, for, that's true. That is true. Yeah. Um, but you, you mentioned that there was actually something that, that you thought was a good segue from this. Well, I, I, I think we're talking about we're talking about the FBI. Look, because one of my cases with, oh, that, right. with that story and tablet is that Ushigate Russiagate is, is the template for everything now, right? You bring in, um, it's, it's about a big tech, um, social media, the press, political operatives on the Democratic Party side, for the most part, as well as the national security establishment. And so that's, that's, the, fa that's the foundations that Russia has created for interminable information operations targeting America. Um, so we saw uh, recently with the arrest of this gentleman, Charles McGonigal, the former head of counterintelligence, the FBI's New York field office, we saw, again, another extension of Russiagate. And I have to say, I, I, I find this story, I find this story very, very fishy for a whole bunch of different reasons, not least because in the middle of it is Russian oligarch Oleg Deripaska whom the FBI has been trying to court well over a decade. So again, when we're looking at the news, I think one of the things that, that you and I really enjoy doing, Ron, is saying like, well, what's going on here? Because this story, the way it's being told, doesn't make sense. There seems to be something else going on here. That's right. I mean, and I mean, the, the only thing that has made that particularly interesting and i want to get to this in a little bit mm. is that i think it's not just you and i anymore who are, who are mm. having we're having that reaction i do think it's creeping right. maybe not to the facebook crowd but uh, and certainly not to the new york times crowd but i do think that's beginning to dribble down quite a bit but so here's the story right january 23rd just mm -hmm. a couple of days ago former special agent in charge of my fbi counterintelligence charged with violating u.s sanctions on russia Russia, Russia, Russia. Yeah. Um, how do you what What do you think is going on here? Or what? Well, what, well I'm, I mean, what what he did was he um, he was working to get sanctions relieved on a gentleman named Oleg Deripaska, an oligarch. And you, we've seen the way that uh, Mr. Deripaska has been described in the prestige press. Uh, for for many years now, an oligarch close to Vladimir Putin. Well, look, if a guy's making a lot of money, if a guy's making billions of dollars and he lives in Russia, he's going to have some sort of uh, a positive relationship with Vladimir Putin. That's just the way it works. Does that mean that he's Putin's best pal? You know, who knows? But the FBI has been trying to recruit Deripaska for um, for a very long time. 
In the mid-2000s, when the FBI was under Robert Mueller, the FBI went to Deripaska and asked Deripaska to fund an investigation to find uh, a former FBI agent, retired FBI agent, who was on a mission for the CIA, and he was being held in Iran. So Mueller... Uh, Mueller's FBI and a team apparently led by Andrew, reportedly led by Andrew McCabe went to Deripaska and asked him to fund this investigation. And Deripaska wound up spending $25 million. Now, the really funky thing about this is everyone knew at the time where Levinson was. He was in Iran. So what was it that Deripaska was paying here? What was that $25 million spent on? There's lots of questions that need to be asked about that. Then let's remember also Oleg Deripaska was paying Christopher Steele, right? This was the man that was writing the uh, the Trump-Russia dossier that the FBI opened up uh, or, or that, that gave the FBI um, uh, rationale to spy on the Trump campaign. So Deripaska is in the Trump middle White of – right, Exactly. Not just the campaign, the transition team and the Trump White House, right? That's Christopher Steele who's being paid by Oleg Deripaska at the time. So you see what I'm saying when Deripaska's name shows up again in the middle of this, there's something that isn't right, right? They're making D Deripaska out to be this entirely sinister figure. And because one of the former FBI guys was working Deripaska, that's trouble and we're going to arrest him. Um, when the FBI has had very strange, the FBI tried to recruit Deripaska as a confidential human source. So the idea now that this is all turned around um, will leave a lot of readers and a lot of people in Coleman Nation, I believe, uh, feeling like there's something funky going on here. Well, there is, and, and a lot, you know, one of the things, you know, when you say we, we're reading things and we're asking why, what, what's really going on here, we're seeing alignments, juxtapositions that are not what we expect them to be. As you said, they... They must have someone decided no. this guy is simply uh, that their Pasca is not going to work with us. He's not going to be what we hoped for. Um, so it's, you know, it, it's time to burn McGonagall. Why? As a way of getting at their Pasca. Now, I, I, right. I think partly as a way of getting at him and partly a way of getting at McGonagall. There's so much about this story that we need to know. I don't, I don't know if you saw, but uh, Sergey Millian, who was a guy who they, you know, who they attacked over Russiagate, the, you know, both Fusion GPS and the FBI yes. were accusing him of all sorts of things. And Sergei tweeted something very interesting. He said, yeah, John Durham should go and in, should go and interview McGonagall right now. Oh, yeah. John see Durham. if McGonagall is willing to talk about um, about the different stuff that was coming out of not only the New York office, but of course, the Washington field office and Washington, D.C. headquarters. The FBI went after McGonagall, not saying he's a good guy for what he did, but uh, Durham should. If Durham is still on the job, Durham should indeed go and speak to McGonagall and see if he's willing to talk about his now former FBI colleagues. Well, so there's that angle. And then there's the fact that when you once you charge somebody criminally, you are, you know, you are opening yourself up to a criminal defense lawyer. And it's true that, for example, if, if these if these charges against McGonagall, I see here that this this comes from Maine justice, right? But no, it seems to have the if this was New Southern District of New York. He was charged in Washington and in Washington. Um, and and New York as well. Two different 
Um, two different cases. The but Washington case is, a, is, a, is another weird case. So both is, so both the U.S. District of Washington and the United, and the Southern District of New York are districts where the judges are dependable and trustworthy, never to do anything that could possibly disturb the deep state. All right. This we know. Uh, you know, certainly Washington. It's not even. It's not even a judicial. It's not even a part of the judicial branch. It's part of the executive branch. They, put, no. I mean, what they've done with January sixth, what they did to to General Flynn, no. nothing. There, there's nothing that they're you know ashamed about or embarrassed. That's an example. And the judiciary, the best of this of your of your of your, your maxim. This is what we're doing, and you can't do a damn thing about it. Right. That, the, that that should be emblazoned on all the courthouses, actually, instead of that's right. What, you know, right? Um, right. And the Southern District of New York, not so different. Lots and lots of secret proceedings taking place in that court, uh, as well that you know, that we never hear about, and lots of dependable liberal judges. Um, on the having said that, depending on who he engages for his criminal defense lawyer, that person could make a lot of noise and a lot of trouble. But there's a point of, you know, as long as your judges agree to seal things and agree to send people out of the courtroom during, you know, certain moments. And meanwhile, you put somebody in custody, in protective custody. After all, he's FBI. We wouldn't want it to get hurt in prison, right? You know, our, um, our, I think that the fate of the the fate of the republic now depends in large part on us understanding where we are as a country and um, understand that we're in what I would call a, uh, I don't know, a regime period, by which I mean much of the constitutional order is now in ruins. And we have to understand who we're ruled by and the nature of these people. And we have to drive them harder against each other if there are different opportunities to do that, we absolutely have to take advantage of it. And I think we can take advantage of it in all sorts of ways, but we need to understand where we are, right? When we hear news of the 87,000 IRS agents that they're going to arm, like, wow, perfect. They're going to arm them? That's fantastic. We should put them all in the same building and find a way for them to compete against each other because what they're building is a sectarian society, right? And sectarian societies eat each other. We need for these people to eat themselves. So if there's a way that McGonagall is going to spill the beans on other FBI agents, that's an enormous win for us. Or even right now, they might be nervous about it. All the whistleblowers that we hear are coming to um, you know, uh, Congressman Jordan at the House Judiciary Committee. That's fantastic. I don't really believe that the FBI is going to be reformed into this wonderful uh, federal law enforcement agency. But what's happening is now there are all sorts of people looking over their shoulders. They don't know who to trust anymore because there are whistleblowers who are coming forward and talking to other people. So even though as an institution, their idea is you can't do anything about what we're doing. These institutions also have different segments and different components, and they need to be driven against each other. They need to eat each other from the inside out. And so that's why um, that's why I think that it's important to pay attention to this news about the McGonagall uh, about the McGonagall arrest. I'm I, I continue 
to maintain my optimism that good things may come of it. And, uh, you know, and that this is, again, a, 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 the future of the republic depends on whether or not we can successfully help drive these sectarian forces against each other before they have a chance to turn their full attention on us. So therefore, you must be very excited about all these revelations of classified documents being strewn all uh, over Biden world, right? That must be yeah. that one of these cases, right? Isn't this a palace coup? Isn't this yeah. the deep state deciding they've had enough of Joe Biden? It's time to set up for the succession. Isn't that really what's going on here? Uh, this is a theory that many people are proposing. I, I don't see any evidence that that's happening. But I also, first, I also find it utterly implausible. Yeah. Again, Look, I mean, this this is not the instrument they'd use for a palace coup. They wanted to bring down Joe Biden, right? What would they do? Here, here's what, if you wanted to bring down Joe Biden, if you were the Democratic Party, right? If you were the progressive, uh, the progressive forces, you would stick um, uh, a dozen trans activists in a room with Biden before he takes his afternoon nap, <laughs> right? He, he would invariably dead name at least half a dozen. You report that and boom, Biden's out. Well, not right? only That's that, just, just open up the FBI files. Well, well I mean, but it's, 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 it's history of corruption. But, I mean, it's but but that would implicate a whole bunch of other people. Oh, and that's right, what I mean. Right. Here's the I, issue with the documents. Yeah. This is a problem for them. And we know it's a problem for them because of the forces that have been mustered here. If you look everywhere you go, there's an Obama lawyer now defending Joe Biden. It's not just Bob Bauer, right? We also had a woman named Dana Remus who served as um, who served as Biden's gen, uh, gen, uh, counsel, White House counsel, but before she also was Michelle Obama's counsel. She was general counsel for the Obama Foundation. Barack Obama uh, married her, officiated at her wedding. So if you look closely, there are Obama people all over here. For whatever reason, the Obama uh, Obama and Obama figures are very concerned about what's happening here with Biden. Look, the other, the, just very quickly, the other, um, the other piece of evidence suggesting it's not a palace coup is remember this was an instrument that they had they were going to use to charge Donald Trump. They're psychopaths. They still may try to. But they've certainly blunted that or that instrument has been blunted yeah. by revelations of Joe of Joe Biden holding lots of classified documents. Right. I mean, that, that you know, the idea that they would somehow use this as some form of, of equivalence to say, well, if we're, we're going to go after Biden and thereby get right. rid of him. And that also gives us the bona fides to get to go after Trump. You know, it's a really that's that would be a yeah. really risky strategy yeah because you'll have you'll have thrown your own your own controlled guy under the bus right and which as you say could have been done a million other ways yeah in order to make the much less likely leap it's sort of like what they did with joe piscopo right i'll tell you what i'm, I'm gonna i i'm gonna resign because that's what you do when someone accuses you right. of, of you know of playing a girl Okay, Trump, it's your turn. <laughs> yeah, Are you out of your right. mind? Yeah, Are you right. nuts? You know, so right. it, it's a crazy strategy. It, it really, that, that argument never made uh, any sense to me either. All right, so you've identified that this, the, yeah. that the Obama people are worried. But why is the FBI, why are they even allow, allowing this to happen? The FBI doesn't act against Democrats mm. unless they're given permission. Why were they given permission? Because they're worried about one thing. Um, 
remember that um, the president has given access to all of his working and living spaces to a drug addict with a money problem who left his laptop at a computer repair store that gave evidence of the entire first family's corruption. So the idea somehow, they don't know what Hunter Biden might do. That's why there's urgency to find all these things. They could have buried them, right? But even if you look at how well, the story was apparently first they buried leaked, them for they buried them through the fall, right? This goes uh, they buried them for two months. But you look at how the story was leaked. A lot of people aren't paying attention to this. It didn't go to a Washington reporter. It went to a reporter in Chicago, right? And that's where the U.S. attorney, um, John Lausch, was looking at it. Who's John Lausch? John Lausch is one of two U.S. attorneys who is allowed to stay on after Trump. He was appointed by Trump. Um, Dick Durbin and Tammy Duckworth wrote, uh, started a campaign to keep Lausch on. What does that tell us? It tells us that Lausch is naturally uh, a Democratic Party loyalist. Right. He worked in the U.S. attorney's office in Chicago all through the Obama years. This is all very carefully orchestrated. It's all been carefully done. And if you look, you see Obama's fingerprints all over this. And that's one of the reasons they're worried, because they had to get they had to make sure at a certain point they got in front of it in case that something really bad happened. Look, there's another thing going on here, too. It's not just Hunter Biden. Um, there's also National Archives. Right. They I, I suspect that that's what happened, that someone from the National Archives, as they started to zero in on Trump, someone from National Archives tipped them off and said, um, we may have a problem with Joe Biden here, too. Just want to give you a heads up. So you should watch out. I think that it, it wasn't Biden lawyers the, looking I, through his office at Penn Biden Center. Right. I think they had a tip from National Archives. That, that does actually sound to me like a very plausible um, node here, uh, a node of influence, because the idea that they use the National Archives as a resource for justifying a SWAT-like raid on Mar-a-Lago, oh. that's bad tradecraft. That's dumb. The National Archive, they're, they're not cut out for that, okay? So almost because there's all kinds of stuff about and around the National Archive that is not secure, that is not behind walls, that is not really traditionally part of the deep state, in fact. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden people, as you say, are going to look at that and start asking questions. And what you're saying then is the Hunter Biden stuff is definitely now out there. And the FBI has evidently committed to do some kind of investigation. It's a, it, what the FBI specializes in with the Democrats is by and large performative investigations. And that's what's been going on with Hunter Biden for two years. I lose my mind every time I hear, hear people say, yeah, Hunter Biden's under investigation. Hunter Biden is not under investigation. It's a fake investigation, right? There's no real Hunter Biden investigation that's been going on here. So we have to ask, well, what's going on? Why did they bring this Biden stuff, uh, the Biden classified documents public? And as I've said, they're worried about two things. They're worried about Hunter Biden, what Hunter Biden might do. He's a loose cannon and he's in the middle. He's in the middle of the White House. That's number one. Number two is National but Archives. Does, does I he strongly... literally come and go in the White House to this day? 
No, I don't think he does. But he's at all the again. He's got access to all of uh, all of the president's living spaces in Delaware, and oh, that's right. where Joe Biden is right. spending an awful lot of his time. And, right? He's and at home. Right. He's vacationing at home. Um, the the other I I strongly uh, recommend. I know that you, you Coleman Nation is very busy working hard, spending time with their families, um, but. Uh, viewers, if you have a chance, strongly recommend you read the congressional report about Sandy Berger, the Bill Clinton National Security Advisor who was taking documents out of the National Archives, right? The procedures have apparently been tightened at National Archives, but not that much. Um, so that I think that's a very important part of this story that's been missing. We all assume because CNN reported it, CNN, uh, you know, uh, uh, explained how the Biden's last days in the office of the vice president, it was chaotic and they're packing things here and packing things there. Well, it doesn't explain though, how all these different documents went to all these different residences and it went to, you know, it went to the Penn Biden center. Pretty sure that's not what happened. I think that there are other ways to look at this. Um, and uh, again, Look at the if you look at the report about Sandy Berger, you see what happened. There's even some of the same players. And what did Christopher Ray, now head of the FBI, was part of the DOJ team that helped bury what Sandy Berger had been doing. So it's um I, I, I think we need to go on uh, on precedent. We need to look more closely at that. And finally, believe it or not, the time has whizzed by as it does with us. You have a couple of times dropped coy little references mm. to the Penn Biden Center. Ah, fascinating! What's coming out about the University of Pennsylvania and the Biden family, isn't it? Yeah, I, I mean, are you talking about the the amount of uh, I mean uh, China and, money that's going in there? Yeah, evidently there. You know, the, the the basically Penn has apparently been used as a big washing machine. For China money, Biden functionaries, and yeah. um, you know, it happens to be that traditionally Penn Penn was not one of the most woke colleges in the country, mm. and now they're hanging out someone like Amy Wax to dry uh, because that's what the culture. Of course, this is happening at lots of tra traditionally more stolid. Uh, uh, universities uh, around the country i get that but evidently this penn biden business is unbelievable i mean you know, and you know every institution has been compromised and this goes back to what you were saying a couple of minutes ago about mm -hmm. how we look at this era in american life yeah and it's funny it's, in, it's interesting to me that you put it that way because i myself have been thinking as a student of history an amateur student of history as i am about how you look back on different eras. In mm. other words, we simply have to exactly, as you said, come to terms with the fact that this, when this is not the free country, this is not the constitutional Republic that we thought we were going, going up. And mm. I understand that we may have been lied to about a lot and almost certainly mm. were, but they bothered to lie then. Yeah. Going back to your earlier point, they're not bothering to lie now. And that's really scary because that's yeah. the step before the, uh, the you know, the Enabling Act, the emergency legislation, mm -hmm. which we experimented with and which worked quite well 
during the COVID scare? I am. I mean, my my, my take on this is that you know, and I've written about this before. I, I I it's not the end of America. It's the end of it's the end of a branch of the ruling elite, right? These people are crazy. They've absolutely lost their minds. And look, I'm I'm certainly not looking to excuse the Bidens, but you're talking about Chinese money coming to the University of Pennsylvania. I mean, <laughs> I mean that's true of virtually every America, especially the top universities in the country. And if you look at the number, um, and this brings us back to the FBI, in fact, if you look at the number of student visa holders from China, it's it's well over 300,000. It dipped a little bit during the COVID years, but now it's back up again. And the FBI should have a real counterintelligence mission, and that is to watch out for foreign espionage. But certainly the FBI can't cover 300,000 um visa holders from the China, you know from the People's Republic of China. So who's responsible for that? Well, that's the political officials, right? Along with with uh, university administrators. It's like, guys, you you can't let all of these students in here. You know, Tom Cotton has made this case. Senator Cotton, others have made the case as well. A lot of these folks, these folks are not here to study Walt Whitman, uh, <laughs> Emily or, Dickinson, or even and, civil um, engineering. Yeah, that's that's not what's going on. They're studying, you know, they're studying in STEM fields, which is another story entirely about how our elites sold out Americans on 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 STEM education. But what so what the Bidens are doing, what Joe Biden is doing, what University of Pennsylvania is doing is across the board. Again, it's not an excuse for the Bidens. It's just an indication of how insanely corrupt this establishment, this political and corporate academic uh, media and cultural establishment is. And my perspective is, or my uh, thesis is, they're crazy. They're falling off a cliff. It doesn't mean the end of America. It means that they are coming to their own end and they will be, they will continue to be extremely destructive and it will get worse. But again, it's just the end of them. It's not the end of the country. It's not the end of us. I think you're right. Lee, great talking to you again. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Ron. And thank you, Coleman Nation. <laughs> hey, thank you for listening to the Coleman Nation podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please rate it five stars and leave a review. For more information, please visit the show's website at coleman-nation.com. That's coleman-nation.com. Or you can visit my blog at likelihoodofconfusion.com. Join us next time on the Coleman Nation podcast and have a great day.